0: Welcome to You're Still Doing That, where we talk to everyday people about their childhood joys that have endured into adulthood. Joining me today is...
1: Sandy Shover.
0: And welcome to the show, Sandy. What is your childhood passion that you still do today?
1: I was very creative and imaginative as a kid and did a lot of storytelling with my dollhouse and creating things with coloring and paper dolls and pretending to be a teacher and creative and and now as an adult I am a teacher and I make a lot of the things that I just imagined making as a kid
0: alright let's hear your story Welcome everyone to You're Still Doing That, where we talk to everyday people about the things they did as kids, and tens of people are are going to listen. (laughs) Uh, Sitting across from me at her very own house in beautiful Sanford, North Carolina, on kind of a warm, stormy day, Miss Sandy Shover. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Sandy, what's your current profession?
1: I am a middle school teacher. I teach eighth grade English.
0: Ooh, middle school. Everybody might cringe a little bit when when people say middle school teacher.
1: I heard cats in a hormonally challenged environment. That would be a little bit more accurate. I do. I've taught middle school almost my entire career, so I'm kind of used to being in the middle of the hormone storm. It's definitely not for everybody, but it's not (laughs) dull.
0: Right. It would not be dull. So... Uh, let's, um, first off, let's, uh, start from the beginning. Where did you, uh, live as a kid?
1: I was raised from the time I was about six years old until right before graduating from high school in Richmond, Virginia. And I was an only child, and this was, you know, for the most part, the late 70s, the 80s. So, I, you know, I was at the beginning of the generation that did have computer games. Yep. But there was always... Yeah, you know, I always had the box of Crayolas and and lots of paper and and things that I could imagine and right. play with.
0: That's still what, what everybody did a little bit there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I kind of feel bad for kids today that are missing out on on some of that because I felt like it inspired a lot of things in my life that grew out of those childhood, you know, the things I enjoyed as a child leading to things i do and enjoy as an adult yeah all
0: those hands-on things yes because yeah, they all blend into other um the other skills and stuff as you get older you learn Absolutely. all those hands-on stuff so uh you are all kinds of crafts and sewing and creative where them where do you where did all that start
1: um i want to say i i come by a lot of it naturally because my mother Liked art and did various arts and crafts. Um, she sewed, among other things. And I would always see her example of, you know, her making things for me. Like making a dress that I would wear to church or, um, you know, just various different projects. And that was one of my role models right. for that. Um, my father, he he also was a maker. He did different things. Like he was involved in printing he showed me how to build something for the first time, like building like a little wooden jewelry box. So I grew up with the idea that, you know, people can make, make useful yeah. and practical things and that you could, you know, when you make it yourself, you can make it however you want. That's right. Which is kind of powerful. I think
0: mm-hmm. now, did you ever take any, um, formal classes when you were younger in particular skills or anything?
1: No, in fact, I was kind of discouraged from that. I really wanted to take. uh, There was a class my high school had called fashion merchandising. Yeah. And by the time I was in high school, I was definitely interested in that. And like, you know, a little part of me wanted to be a fashion designer because I had made, I had drawn paper dolls as a little girl and and drew tons of clothes to kind of fold around the paper dolls and imagine like, oh, I was designing all of this and. I was just straight up shot down from taking that by my father. Like, that's not practical. And yeah, a bunch of stuff like that. People
0: need clothes.
1: Well, people do need clothes, but I think he saw the fashion merchandising as like, are you preparing to work in a store? Yeah. I, I don't know, but I did, I did work at the limited one summer after my freshman year of college. And it was not that exciting,
0: right? Yeah, but because retail is not fun.
1: Well, you don't get the creative part of no, it. You I don't. mean, I guess unless you're like doing displays, but even then, corporate in a lot of cases they tell you what to put up. Oh, they they don't just tell you; they send you the pictures <laughs> and say, "This is what you're doing." <laughs> yeah. You know, so it was it, it, that part wasn't what I thought it was going to be. But later on, as an adult, you know, discovering the art of making clothes was a game changer,
0: right? Now, did you make any clothes when you were in school, in high school, age or anything?
1: No, no. no. I mean, I think my mom, like, showed me, maybe showed me a couple of times, like, how to sew something. But by that point, I didn't really, I thought about asking her to make my prom dress just because of money and trying to get what I wanted. And I think she made a costume or two for me. Yeah. Like, when I did some theater in high school, but... I wasn't really, I, I hadn't learned enough to do it and wasn't that interested at that point, but I still had that creative streak and, you know, would, would draw or would say, you know, I just kind of imagine like sort of design stuff, but I had no idea how to do it or even right. what was possible yeah. that, that you could make, you know, i if- Well, yeah.
0: just think if you had taking that fashion merchandising class. You could have been starting way earlier and have runway shows by this point.
1: Well, you never know. You never know. It's it's all... (laughs) It is what it is, but, you know, one of the things that I did do that was creative when I was a kid, I would imagine, like, I... I I like not just clothes, but like interior design. Like that was another thing I was told. No, that's not practical. Uh You know.
0: Sure. There's lots of people that have folks that come in and tell them how to decorate.
1: Of course they do. But I grew up in a house where my dad would not let us put any paint on the walls. They were white. The whole time we were. Yeah. Tell me about it. You were not allowed to. I was not allowed to put up any posters, pictures, nothing. So I think because of that. I, like, really fantasized. Like, I asked... Okay, so my parents built a house. Well, had a house built. You know what I mean. Yeah. In about, I'll say, 1979. I was in second grade. And I wanted pink carpet. And that was a choice the builder offered. But it was in the more expensive tier. Yes. And my El Cheapo father was like, no, nah, you got to pick something from this. So, for some reason... My logic was it was the closest color to pink. I picked this rust color carpet. Yeah. It looks like something that I would now refer to as something my cat threw up. Right. But that was the color I picked. And like that was the extent of my choices in decorating, other than maybe once or twice getting to pick out a new bedspread. Yeah. I mean, boring. Boring. Yes. So I think I fantasized a lot about that. And I had. I had a dollhouse that was built from a kit, and then my father actually built me a second part of the dollhouse. He kind of copied the the pattern of it from the first one, just minus this little extension that was on there. But with that, I would take scraps of my mother's fabric that she didn't use, and I would make little curtains and it was yeah you know it was it was a creative outlet and like i said i would draw and i'd make the paper dolls and i i loved getting any kind of art supplies and anybody that was going to dump my box of crayolas, that would be fighting time cuz i still to this day have to keep the everything like in color order and oh yeah it has to be arranged yeah when i moved classrooms we had we got these boxes of markers and colored pencils last year and we were told at the end of the year to leave all of that, like in a certain place, all there were certain things to leave all together in your classroom. So if you were switching rooms, like those boxes weren't going to move. So I had, I had my stuff beautifully organized because I am one of those people. Yeah. And the room I got into the person that had the room before me was a dumper. In other words, we're going to just dump all the stuff into one thing. And so I literally had a filing cabinet drawer completely full of colored pencils and markers. And they were n- not even really all that separated. It it, it made my eyes hurt just to, to look <laughs> at it. And luckily, that that teacher is still there and had just moved rooms as well. And the room she had gotten had the still organized boxes. Yeah. So we traded I just emptied everything she had dumped in the drawers into a carton and traded her back for the other thing. And now all is right in my world uh. as far as that. Because if it's not in color, in an organized color fashion, it bugs the crap out of me. Yeah. So even to this day, I still have a thing about color coding my fabric. Or if it's not color coded, there's another logic to it. Like I cannot just... Just throw it in piles. Right. It it makes me crazy. It's like there's something about that that's really satisfying. And I know that started when I was a kid. <laughs> that I had to have that... You know, you're either... I, I think you're either one of two people. You're either uh, leave the Crayola box just as it came.
0: Yeah. Or dump them all. Right. Mine end up getting dumped. And they, there's a whole mess of colors in each one. And I just spread them around the room.
1: I have a bucket. I have, like, a, a bucket... And I have I took paper cups and I put it within the bucket, and because I think there were about I want to say like either eighteen or twenty four different color markers, I have the the cups have like two or three of each color, but like all the oranges of various shades are together, and the blues yeah. and so on, and it's organized. And my and I only put a few out at a time, so they can't completely trash it. And my kids seem to respect that, and I'm like this is i feel this deeply in my soul it <laughs> needs to be like that and i even started taking my classroom library i, I saw this on the home edit which i don't know if you're familiar with that they've, they've done like a whole netflix show and there's all these like home organization books yeah but one of their big things is to rainbowfy everything like if you take your bookcase and have say like in my classroom the top shelf is all like kind of the spines of the books are all shades of like purple and pink yeah. I don't have a lot of paint, you know, but it's, so it's all there. And then the next shelf below it is blue. Wow. And it's like this, this weird aesthetic that I just developed as a kid. And yeah, I'm still doing that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you get, people get stuck in their ways and, um. But it's what makes it you works, have, it's, you it know, does. I think
1: it's a comfort thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, this is being creative and having that control not just with what I made, but how I organized the supplies was one of the areas of my life where I had complete control. And I did not have a lot of that as a kid. Right. Cause there was a lot of crazy going on in my, in my house. My dad was kind of a nut job to put it mildly. Yep. So being able to create my own little world and control all the elements of it was comforting. It was like my happy place. It was someplace I could retreat to, you know, my family can be dysfunctional, but my dollhouse family was, you know, really great. Be great. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, but a lot of people had dollhouse families too, now thinking about it. So, um, so, you're getting out of school. So, you get out of college. What was your job?
1: Well, I tried to get a job teaching because that was you know, right. my major was education and English. And it was 1993. There were not a lot of jobs. And I graduated from college in New York there were like no jobs on long island. Yeah, well,
0: it's still hard to get jobs in New York today.
1: It is because they actually respect and pay yeah, their teachers that's decently. Right, they sure do. Pennsylvania, where my family had moved to right around the time I ended up going to college a, a year early, they did not have hardly any teaching jobs available unless you wanted to substitute where they required you to be a full fully certified teacher in order yeah, to sub. Uh, yeah. So I ended up, I found a job in Northern Virginia, but I didn't find it for like a year. Like I had, I did something else. I worked for a magazine distributor, like a boring office job, just so I could afford to buy a car and have enough credit to do that. And then, and I was only 21. So I was 22 when I finally started teaching. And even then I dove into the creative stuff because the job stress was. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, you're a teacher too. You know, you know, Yes. the job stress is ridiculous. So that year I was living in Northern Virginia, the DC suburbs, and I rediscovered something I did learn from my mother, which was how to do counted cross stitch. And that was something I did do. Um, as a teenager, I remember making little cross-stitch, like, like little tiny, maybe four-inch square pillows yeah. that had a ribbon hanger as ornaments and giving them, like, yeah, yeah. as teacher gifts. Yeah. So there were a number of stores, like, little specialty shops that sold cross-stitch patterns and really nice floss and, like, the more artisan materials, yeah. shall we say, in the D.C. area. And it was not... It was not a super expensive hobby. It was one of the few things like I could afford to splurge. I could splurge a little bit, spend 10 or 15 dollars, get the materials for a project that would occupy me and give me something where yeah. I could focus on instead of the stress of being a high school theater teacher with no support.
0: Right. Oh. High school theater, no
1: Yeah, that's not you. a job for a first-year teacher.
0: Oh, my goodness, no. no. I, I, I would just cringe thinking about walking into there. You need all kinds of help there.
1: Yeah, and I got none of it. So it was, it was bad. I did not enjoy it.
0: <laughs> so when did you start getting into sewing?
1: Well, I've, obviously I've always been crafty. And I went from cross-stitch, which I had... I, I didn't really do a lot of, I mean, I did like drawing and stuff when I was in college, but I had gotten into cross stitch and then, and that's obviously part of sewing and had kind of migrated there to crochet and did a lot of scrapbooking. Yeah. But, so I've always had something, but when I was pregnant with my fourth child and I had, had three boys, found out I was having a girl. Kind of lost my mind at <laughs> finally having a girl because I have all these creative in- instincts and I wanted to dress her up and, you know, do her little hair. Yeah. and I, Yeah, I mean, ugh, okay, all the stuff gets a little cringy, but I was looking around trying to find like the perfect crib bedding. And so you know, we go into like Babies Are Us yeah, back in the day. I sure did? Yeah. Uh, I yeah. It. You know, and I remember looking at these like bedding sets. was like, this is like $300. Yeah. No,
0: no, tell me about it. Because I, I
1: didn't want to reuse the same thing I, I used for all three boys. I wanted yeah. something new and girly. I mean, like we had finally scored a girl. Yeah. So I got the wild hair in my head that, you know what? For that amount of money, I could buy a sewing machine and I, and some fabric and right. I could make something. And, oh, yeah, that'll be cost effective.
0: Because you can make more.
1: Well, I just thought, well, if even if all I do is that, it'll be worth it because I will have spent about the same amount of money. Yeah. Oh, little did I know.
0: <laughs> so
1: she was due in April. In January, I bought a sewing machine. And and then I said, well, I wasn't quite ready to start in on trying to make like the bedding stuff first. So I bought flannel and my first projects were taking a yard of flannel, cutting it square, and then hemming it around so i basically made like receiving blankets yeah and then the remaining strip of fabric that would be left because usually like the flannel you buy like joanne's is about say 45 inches wide and so once you've cut it to 36 square you have that strip that's about like 36 by i guess like nine or ten inches so i would I would double it up and just make it into like a burp cloth that you would put on your shoulder. which ended up coming in very handy with reflux child. Yes. But I must've made, I bet I made at least 15 or 16 receiving blankets because I got excited. Yeah. Because you go to Joanne's and there's all these cute flannels. It's like, oh, this one has little pink flowers and this one has that. And I was like, oh, I'll buy another one. Oh, it's on sale. Yeah. So the next thing I know, I've made all these blankets and then I did make like the, ironically, I never made a little quilt for the bed because I realized I never ended up using them. You know, you don't want to put a a comforter, like a fluffy comforter on a little baby because it's not safe. But I did make the bumpers and I made like the crib skirt that matched the bumpers. And then I've just bought little sheets that matched it, but I'm very excited. Yeah. And then I branched out and I found a pattern for a, like a cover that you could put on a metal bucket to turn it into an organizer. And I was like, Oh, yeah. isn't that clever? Yeah. So I started making that. And then I decided, Oh, I could make, I could make like her baptism dress yeah. because all the boys had worn the same little white, little fancy white romper. But I have a girl now. I want to make her one of those like, fancier dresses so i had and i should have known better that my kids all kind of come out small the dress ended up being enormous like we had to kind of wait and not baptize her until she was because i was like oh she's wearing that dress and i still have it i've saved it i look back at it now because it was the first piece of clothing that i made and oh, there are so many things that Right. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, what was I thinking here? But it's still, but it's, you know, it was made with love, as they say.
0: So my next question, I'm here. I asked you, when did your ability ability turn into a habit?
1: And I was like, I guess that's with Gracie's fault. (laughs) I'm going to blame Gracie. (laughs) I'm definitely going to blame Gracie. But it didn't, okay, it didn't get quite, the obsession yet. I think she was like her first year, I mean, you know, with a with a new baby, it's really busy. And when yes. you have an and when you have four kids under the age of seven, yep. things be quick, right. So I did I did a little bit of sewing here and there. Like I made a couple of little simple dresses. By the time though she was a year old and things were starting to calm down, I decided I wanted to try my hand at sewing clothing for me. And in between that, I had discovered an independent sewing store. Like, you know, you have your big box, like well, yeah. Joanne, yeah. and I know people will get stuff like a Hobby Lobby or Wally World or whatever. Um, but I had discovered a store that since has closed called Elegant Stitches. And they had, they had all these beautiful little, heirloom sewing which i didn't know what heirloom sewing was and then i found out Mm -hmm. and i was like "Ooh, this is fancy this is it it was challenging yeah and like smocking where you have these little pleats and you sew designs in the pleats yeah and so i did that and i discovered that there were independent pattern companies not just the ones that are in the big old books that are sitting there in joanne's so again, it was like, my eyes were open, like, right. ooh, new possibilities here. And then I even found a magazine that, we don't have anything like this, but apparently this is pretty common in Europe, that they have pattern mag, well, we do have a little bit of one, but anyway, so they had, the store had this English edition of a magazine from Finland called Ottobre, which is October in Italian. And that's what these people in Finland named their magazine. Yeah. I'm still kind of it, circling their it line. Italian designs. It well, it was just, I don't know. It was just whatever. But the cool thing was there were pages that you would pull out of the center of the magazine where it had the patterns overlapping and you'd have to trace like, so I would buy like a roll of tracing paper and lay it over there. And so I could see through and I would trace the size. But since I wasn't cutting the pattern, if I wanted to make something like a size bigger a year later, you know, you could do it. And I thought, oh, isn't that kind of clever? And they had all the instructions and then the pictures, you know, almost like a little yeah. fashion magazine. And they ha- and it was children's clothing. And it was really, like, some of the children's clothing that they have patterns for that were out at the time, my children were very little, were very basic, kind of not real imaginative. But yeah. this had all this creative stuff and then it started like getting my juices going. Like, oh, I could make this and look at this neat little detail I could learn right. how to add. So it just started snowballing into this like, I want to challenge myself a little further. And then I discovered that this the same magazine around that time started publishing a version for women. I was all about that. And over the next really over the next couple of years after that, I kind of blew up my skills with making clothing and started making things also for my boys. I've occasionally right. made stuff for my husband and tried, you know, more challenging garments. You know, Some things are easy, like a very simple dress or a skirt is very easy because you have minimal fitting to do in a lot of cases. But then realizing that I could learn to make things where I could make it fit me without having to alter something that I bought. Yeah. And that was, that was a wow moment. Like, Oh, I don't have to worry about the fact that I'm one size in one part and one size different in another part. You can just make it that way. I could make it. and, And so it became a, I, I kept wanting to learn more you know you get that right. that okay this is cool i want to see how much more i can do with it yeah that kind of feeling
0: so you so you're sewing well i see you make all kinds of stuff now how often does your family buy regular clothes or are they wearing sandy shover originals most of the time
1: <laughs> actually um, not that not that much now when my when my daughter was little like i'd say most of I'd say more than half of her clothes when she was like preschool through about kindergarten or so were originals bespoke, shall we say? Um, And for the boys occasionally, not, not tons of stuff, but like, if, if I had a dollar for every Hawaiian shirt I made, well, I'd have quite a few dollars. Right. Uh, but that basic style of yep. shirt from everything from, like, a little dude, you know, that's three, up to ones for right. my now grown sons and my husband. Um, I've even made some Hawaiian shirts for my father-in-law, who probably will sport them. Yeah. And as they've grown up and, you know, kids get, you know, they get into, like, I, I want this or that, and You know, want to feel comfortable that the one thing I remembered as a kid that there be times when my mom was going to make something or even a couple of times where my dad picked out the fabric and said, oh, you should make this out of this. And I know there was an orange corduroy dress that I hated because it was not what I wanted to pick. Yeah. And so I didn't want to do that to them. Um, so I've been very deliberate now. Like if they ask for something, like I've had I've had quite a few requests for Hawaiian shirts. There's a yep. whole bunch of them in I'm play. Still waiting on mine. <laughs> yeah, we'll see, Matt. Okay, <laughs> you you just uh, want them be able to say it's like bespoke. <laughs> I want to
0: say it's a chauffeur. That's right. It
1: it would and it would be amazing because that's yep. you know, how I how I do it. But like things oh. like that, or occasionally they'll ask for something else. Um, I had a request for a navy blue wool pea coat from my high school son a couple years ago, which I was very impressed that he knew exactly what he wanted yeah. and wanted me to make it. Right. You know, because that's like the ultimate compliment if the kids...
0: Your teenager wants you to make something. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> I have
1: made a few <laughs> things like I made. It's like... Not only did I make Gracie's baptism dress, but now I can say I made her very first little black dress as an adult because she needed a a black dress for an event. And I was, you know.
0: Like, why buy one? I can make one.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not only that. Not only that. You know what? I think what the kids have have learned is that if somebody's making it for you, you know, I I don't want stuff to look Becky Ecky. Yeah. You know, as I've heard somebody on Project Runway say it before, <laughs> I think it was Michael Kors would be like, that looks kind of Becky homecky. Right. You know, like I don't want someone to say, Oh, did you make that? that? Looks homemade, Right. There's the, that looks homemade in the, what the heck? You don't know what you're doing sense. Versus that is so unique. I know you made it. And that's cool. Right. You know, there's a, there's a fine line and you want to be on the correct side of yeah. that. But I think they've even realized that if they get to pick, You know, like we'll pick together like, okay, this fabric or you can do it this way. And my son that's um, in college right now actually decided, unlike his brother who just asked for a specific coat, he said, I want to make a wool coat, like a dress, like a dressy style, classic wool coat. So we picked out fabric together and he did, I'd say he did about 90% of the construction. There were a couple of things that were a little challenging um, that I wanted to make sure, and he wanted to make sure, we we wanted to make sure it turned out right, but he learned everything from some of the machine aspects of it and the construction order to like, he hand sewed the lining and the first time he did it, he pulled it too tight. So it didn't hang right. It did some weird stuff. And I was like, nope, you need to take it out and redo it. And I showed him how to redo it. And he did. And he has worn that thing so much. He was 16 when he made it. He's 21 now. Yeah. It has had multiple winners in use. In fact, it got to the point where this year he realized the lining was getting a little worn. And he wanted to make it so that he could add like something warmer in it. So together, yeah. we figured out how to add in like an extra basically an extra lining layer and added in a zipper so that the extra lining could zip in and zip Zip out. out.
0: Yep. I've had a coat like that.
1: I have, I've had one coat like that in my, in my life and that was my inspiration. So it was fun, you know, figuring it out. And then there was like, he did the hand sewing parts that needed to be done. So it's, and he's discovered, he's discovered knitting, which I'm, I'm all about. You know, if you want to do that, like the creative aspects. So I think I feel good, like as a parent, if I've inspired my kids yeah. to know that, you know, you can be a maker in whatever it is. I mean, they've all tried sewing a little bit. But, you know, my, while my daughter doesn't want to sew, she wants to, you know, she likes carpentry. She's going to learn how to weld. Right. She's taking masonry. Yeah. So and I still think the, being a maker. That's it. You know, yeah. just passing on that idea of there's power in being a maker. Yeah. And you can get the things you want. Because as a teacher, I can't afford, I, I can not afford to go out and buy, buy everything. Yeah. Or, like, I like a good bag. I've discovered bag making. That's fun. Right. And... Well, they're, they're
0: expensive, too, if you buy lots of bags.
1: But... They're not always cheap to make, but they are so satisfying to make yeah. because... It, you know, the, the ability to customize and to challenge myself with new techniques yeah. and.
0: Give yourself the amount of pockets you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Whether it's a pocket in my dress yes, or right. a pocket my, or an extra pocket in my bag. or yeah, a, My
0: girls will instinctively, if they're shopping for any type of pant or dress or something, if it's got a pocket, they instinctively want to get it because most women's clothes, they don't put pockets in them.
1: Well, and, and I think some of that is because if it's done hastily and cheaply, if the pockets are in there, they may not lie right. Like it yeah. it takes a certain of a, amount of finesse to make your pocket look right. And I think clothing manufacturers will see that as an easy place to cut costs. When you're making it yourself, you know, if you mess it up you can rip the stitches out and fix it. But I mean not that mm-hmm. they're that difficult, they're not. And I've gotten to a point where I'm comfortable if I want to add a pocket, I know how to add a pocket and it's not, you know, it's not that big a deal, but whether it's adding a pocket or making a garment that can fit your measurements or a bag that has the features that you want or making, you know, whatever it is, making it something that's practical is great. And then the bonuses, you get to make it beautiful in whatever way, beautiful is your definition.
0: That's right. Especially if it's very functional too, if it does exactly everything you want it to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's big. That's that's really big. And then and then the, you know, if it's something that you're using, every time you use it, it it's like a little extra dose yeah, of happy there. That's and right. I've gotten to the point now where I have I have things I've sewn. I have a I have a quilt. My my team is the all of our teams at our middle school are named after universities and their mascots. And we were just given the guidelines. Like eighth grade has, it has to be something that flies. So <laughs> last year I was with a different teammate, but we had decided on Temple university and the owls, owls,
0: right? Because
1: the Griffins and the Falcons were already taken. And I'm like, you know, there's not that many good flying mascots. I, I was like, oh, Eagles, but eh, You're right, wasn't feeling it. But owls, I was like, the owls are kind of cool. And I thought, I wanted to make, I wanted to make something that I could hang. Because the year before that was when I did it the first time, I made a little mini quilt with a bulldog on it because my team was right. the bulldogs, and then when I moved up and to do that, I ended up finding a quilt pattern for an owl, and I and I did it creatively and, and mine because I was teaching English and social studies. I had all these little words that were in the background of the fabric that were in the background of the quilt. And then I made one for my teammate who was doing math and hers had numbers in the background of the quilt. And so it was like the same, but different. And like I said, it was that little dose of happy that even, even when my kids were working my last daggone nerve as some of them did last right. year. Even just kind of put my eyes on that in the classroom was just a little bit moment of, okay, okay, it's not always like this. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a good vibe.
0: Uh now the besides regular clothes, I seem to remember Gracie's done cheer for quite a long time. Yeah. And it looks like you made quite a lot of her cheer
1: clothes. I did, especially when she was younger, there weren't as many as many things, like, so for practice, she would wear, like, sports bras or, like, little tight, like, kind of dance yeah. shorts. And it was another one of my discoveries that there's a pattern company out of Quebec called Jay Lee. And they specialize in some everyday clothing, but they have a lot of sports-specific stuff, including, not surprisingly from Quebec, figure skating. Cause, yes. you know right coldest anything up there and but the in gymnastics leotards and they did actually make a pattern that had a basically an all-star cheerleading uniform but before that i had found you know the the sports bras the like kind of dance shorts that she was wearing a lot of and up until up until the last the last few years now that she's a teenager you know i'm just like okay we'll just buy the nike pros and the right. nike running shorts and it's and it's all good cuz that's what she likes now but right. when she was smaller she she loved getting to pick out you know what she wanted i'd make her little bows to match Yep and, i remember
0: seeing the pictures
1: Oh yeah it was that was fun that now, was, was that now the,
0: the athletic clothes is that how was that oh. different from making like hawaiian shirts or little black dresses or things like that
1: Well the biggest difference in some of those is what type of fabric you know what's your substrate yeah because sewing knits is different than sewing woven sewing wovens wovens are stable you know you think of like the you know your fabric whether it's your jeans or just like a basic shirt that doesn't have any stretch in it it's not going to slide around as much it's not going to give as much um, so it's a little harder to fit sometimes but then depending on the style of the garment but then with knits, you have different techniques and you have to factor in the stretch and all kinds of different, you know, there's, there's different things there. Like working with different types of fabric as well as different types of garments. It's like if you were putting in, okay, I was just, I have this image in my head of like a slot machine. Okay, right. so go with me here. You know, you have like a slot machine. They'll have all the different little wheels that spin. So I can think of sewing as like one wheel is like the type of item you're making. And then another wheel is the type of, of fabric that you're using. And then another wheel is like the type of techniques it requires. So it's like you keep you know pulling the lever and remixing different things and doing different stuff while there's some things that are kind of, there's some principles to it that are kind of basic and universal, the more you branch out, like I said, I like the challenges and oddly enough, even though I'm, you know, like I said, now I just (laughs) buy her a bunch of sports bras, buy her her little Nike running shorts that she likes best, but I still pull out the patterns that I used. I used to make her, like these dance tumbling kind of shorts with and i make them for myself and i put them under my dresses and my skirts because when she was little and i would put like a make her a little pair of shorts or buy her a little like diaper cover and i was like well this is great and once she outgrew diapers of course i was like well she still kind of needs that because i want her to feel like she can do whatever and then i realized you know what i can sew I can make myself something so I don't have to worry about being limited because I choose to wear a dress and worry about yeah, what's yeah. under there so it, it's just just one more thing you can do and this pattern out like had sizes for like two toddler all the way up through even bigger ladies sizes yeah. all in one thing so you bought the, the pattern one time and you Very just it's
0: keep nice. you have to rebuy different patterns
1: no it's super super practical yeah And you make something enough, you could. uh, Yeah, I can make the shorts in my sleep. I don't look at the directions anymore. It's, it's basic principles. That's the other thing about sewing. Like once you start learning how different types of things come together, you just keep. You you know, you can learn and expand the techniques, but you also can do it faster, which then turns into people going, "Can you alter my pants?" Yeah. Yeah. The answer is no. If you know a friend that sews and does a lot of creative sewing, please do not ask that person to hem your skirt or alter your trousers. Cause I mean, if they're a really good friend, they might do it for you, but they're going to hate you.
0: Yeah. Well, that takes me, probably answers my next question for you. It's a, uh, uh, do you ever, uh, like sew for money or take orders or things like that?
1: I have a few things. So some of it, there was one thing that I have made a whole bunch of beca- and sold it. And it was practical and it was a problem solver. And while it was kind of a boring sew, so, and that's the thing, I don't like boring sews. It had the motivating factor here. When my when my daughter's team, my daughter's cheer, cheer team, not just her team, but like all the teams from her gym. The first time they got new uniforms where they no longer let the little girls in All-Star have their midriffs exposed. Okay, not a bad thing to, you know, to have that picked up. As it is now, like, only senior-level girls can compete with uniforms that have their midriff exposed. So they got these, um, they called them a crossover piece. It was, like, kind of a leotard-type thing that went under the uniform, and it had a snap crotch. And... I sort of recognized that this was going to happen, but somehow my brain didn't put it all together to, Hey, maybe we should say something when they did a the uniform fitting, they had the girls try on these like mock-up crossover pieces and they were made out of a very stretchy knit. So they tried them on and they had sample sizes Yeah. and then, and they do this. And then the gym uniforms are, are custom made like for the whole gym. So it's a, a limited run manufacturer. So they make these, but instead of the same type of knit, they used uh, like a power mesh. Power mesh, while it has some stretch, it does not have the amount of stretch that like a typical leotard would. So what ended up happening is the uniforms come in right before the first time they need to wear them. And the girls are putting them on. And as soon as they start to move, the lack of stretch is causing a rather uncomfortable problem. And it's starting to become wedgie central. So I thought, okay, okay, I can, <coughs> I can solve this. Cause my kid was not the only one trying to pull her business out of her business. Yep. So I, I first went to, you know, a, a big box store and bought some snaps and realized the snaps they sell at like Hobby Lobby or Joanne's are literally a millimeter bigger than the snaps that they use on commercial clothing, like the snaps that are on your baby's bodysuit or the snaps that varsity put on the the uniforms. Yeah. So, I found God bless the internet. I found what I needed online. Ordered me a whole bunch of little black snaps cuz these were these little black bodysuits and I bought uh, some black spandex and I experimented with it and I made an extender. Yeah. And snapped it in, and my child was suddenly much happier about yeah. the situation, and not feeling like when you know she bent over and her body stretched that you know everything was going up yeah, to yeah, her yeah. throat. Yeah. And once I figured that out, well, I shared it you know with the other moms in the gym, and I said, "Are you girls having this problem?" And a lot of people were like, "Yeah, yeah. we need that." So I must have sold, and I just. I figured out my costs and because I could kind of mass produce them it didn't take too long I sold like 50 or 60 of them for $10 a piece and then people could just snap them in there they could stay snapped in and and I I did that several times and help people out and and it was good because like there wasn't I was filling a need yes and and also, it helped my kid because you know her team was going to do better if everybody wasn't having to choreograph when to pick the wedgie.
0: Right. You know. That's right.
1: Funny. <laughs> Although it's funny if you really watch All Star Cheer closely, sometimes I got I got to realize there are a couple places where some people were just every time they yeah, were cool. they were having to do a little little tug. <laughs> but other than that, I just you know it it's not something. Like I don't mind like one little thing there that has sort of a side benefit to my kid and helps something that she's really into you know but as far as when people come to me and like hey can you help me make this or that or do you make curtains? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I do Do I make them for myself? Why? Yes, I did. Right. Um do I want to make them for you? No. No. I'll pay you. And I'm, my next thought is no. You won't pay me what I'm worth because yeah. Knowing how much time it takes. People
0: want a $1,000 creation for 200 bucks.
1: Yeah. yeah. Or more likely people want a $200 creation and think $10. And, yes. you know, that, that's that. So I give
0: you the fabric. Will you do all this work for me? <laughs>
1: yeah. Once again, no. <laughs>
0: all right. So I've got some fun questions for you. Okay. Um, so, uh, so what kind of sewing machine do you use?
1: I actually have several. I have a Janome Skyline S6 which is my second like major sewing machine that I've purchased for myself the Kenmore which is basically a Janome under a different name I bought when I was expecting Gracie I used that for a good 15 years before I bought that upgrade, upgrade one yeah. and and it was a good solid workhorse I'm not you know I'm not like one of these I have to have the Cadillac of sewing machines yeah um, I have a serger, and a serger is a sewing machine that has usually at least three or four. Most of them have four threads, sometimes they'll have five. And it does that little kind of overlocking chain stitch that you see on the inside of a t shirt. Yeah, yeah. Where it's several loop. you see yeah, the loops. I've seen them. So I, I've had, I still have it, but I, about two years ago, d- during the pandemic, when I was really crafting my behind off, I upgraded to a cover stitch, which added like another functional layer. And then I have an embroidery machine, not like the kind where, you know, you, you buy a hat at the mall and yeah. they stick it on there. Yeah, yeah. This one is meant to be used like in the construction of something, not on a finished item. Right. And I can buy and download digital designs and make elaborate embroidered pictures or appliques and I have not upgraded that one. I'm not saying there isn't a little fantasy in my brain, <laughs> but I think Chris would have some issues with the $3,000, which is the oh cheap. My goodness. <laughs> no, no. If, if I upgrade, it, hear me out, if I upgrade, because right now my machine will do a design up to about six inches by eight inches, yeah. which is not bad. You know that that's a reasonable size, right. but Janome makes one that will do up to fourteen by nine, and I ain't gonna lie, I'm drooling a little when I <laughs> see it. But I'm not pulling the trigger on. I'm not. I'm being practical. I don't do that much right. embroidery. That I need it, but there's a little part of me that goes, "Ooh, I want that." Right. And the only other machine I have, I actually won at a sewing expo. Nice. It was a Brother Project Runway machine. It's sort of been my backup machine. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still have it as a backup machine, but it it probably well, it probably needs a little bit of a tune up, and I just don't feel like investing in that.
0: Yeah. Especially but when you have two other machines.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have it, it. It doesn't do anything that that one can't do, and it's it has a little embroidery module which I've literally never used because it only does four by four, and I already have a machine that can do that in bigger. Yeah. So why would I? mess with right, right. having to switch things out but it still was cool that i won it because when i won it you had to be present to win they called like four or five people before they called my name and it was like they weren't there they weren't there then they called my name and i acted like one of them crazy fools on the prices right And yeah. it's like running off like <laughs> that's my name that's my ticket so...
0: funny um what's the hardest thing you've you've put together
1: um Kind of a toss-up one of the hardest was gracie's easter dress when she was five because it was a very elaborate heirloom sewing smocked in several places had embroidery yeah. into it it was and it was white you know so yeah. you don't want to anything on there and i literally finished it in the middle of the night creeping up on Easter morning but it was beautiful and on a little five-year-old innocent I mean it's it's perfect it's like perfection um I've done some quilts that were very challenging lately that's I say lately in the last few years I've kind of gotten more into quilting so I've I just try to kind of keep hitting little upgrades here and there right. and it's like climbing the next mountain as far as the the challenge and that's so satisfying.
0: What's the largest thing you've created?
1: Um uh that quilt that's sitting there in the bag. Yeah. Um uh, in that plastic bag. It's a queen size quilt. From a pattern by Tuliping called City Sampler, and it's a hundred different blocks, and it's all, and then it's set in, like it has what's called sashing and quilting, which is basically just the background lines in between all the fancy blocks, yeah, and it's that's that's probably the physically largest item that I I've done, and that one I actually paid somebody to quilt on a big long arm machine, which if I had one it would take up most of my living room and well, clearly that ain't happening. (laughs) And it's not you know, like I just I I I guess I technically could have done it on my sewing machine, done the quilting, but trying to manhandle that much fabric
0: Right. I was thinking I would get the you'd get to a certain size and you'd have a hard time moving it around your machine.
1: I have and I have a table that I can pull off the free arm of the machine, and I have a what's called a So Steady table. It's a brand, but it's a good yeah. one, and it's like acrylic. And then there's a plastic mat that sticks on it too that has some measurements. And between that and using what I swear it looks like furniture grippers. I'm not sure how else to describe this. Okay, so I'm showing you these right now. Doesn't that kind of look like what you'd slide you'd under stick your underneath your couch or something? Right, like? right. And it's somewhat squishy, but this way it has a smaller one for on the right side under what's called the throat of the machine, where you don't have as much room to move, and then a much bigger one that your left hand can control, and you can use this to kind of pressure and hold the fabric almost like you were holding your hands in like a picture frame motion. And then you can use that to draw. Oh,
0: gotcha. And
1: quilt patterns yeah, yeah. that way. So I've been learning, learning a little bit more how to do it, but I've discovered the biggest size I'm comfortable with is what's often referred to as like a throw size quilt, like about a five foot by five foot. Right. Anything bigger than that, and you start getting into the territory of this is ridiculous. Yeah. And unless you're doing something that's straight line, don't do it you're gonna make yourself crazy because
0: you got all that extra material to deal with
1: yeah and it gets heavy yeah i would think so it gets heavy and then things slide around it's and then it stops becoming fun and that's the thing if it stops becoming fun then i'm just like no that's like one of the few things i don't have the right tool yeah yeah i think it's like anything else that you're doing if you don't have the right tool for the job I don't care what the tool is or what the job is. You know, you need to have those tools match up. And sometimes, you know, you just need to rent that tool for a special thing. And in my case, I will be glad to take it to the, the long armor and let them, let them do it.
0: What's, uh, lately, what's been your favorite thing to put together?
1: Um, well, last night I finished off all of those little guys. And what I'm, showing him is oh, yeah. stuffed my, animals kind of Yeah, thing. they're like stuffed animals, but they're patchwork stuffed animals. And they're they're from a pattern company called Funky Friends Factory. They have all kinds of cute animals. Like I've made the patchwork kitty cat about four or five times. No, at least five or six times now, I think, yeah. cuz I'm a cat person. But this was I had a I had a bundle of fabric that included fabric with a hippo and an elephant and a lion and a giraffe. And I saw somebody had used those fabrics and done samples of the actual stuffed animals that corresponded. And I was like, that's really cute. I want to do that just because it amuses me. So I did that. But lately I've done a lot of bags and storage type items, like a pouch I could store stuff or... I've also kind of gotten into doing like mini wall hanging quilts because they're, I, I I don't find it interesting to do the same exact block of a quilt 50 times. Yeah. That I I, I, I need the variety. So if it's something where I can change out what I'm doing and play with, you know, Fabric combinations. I mean, there's some people who are very into the technical aspects of quilting and play it safe and will make a meticulously crafted two-color quilt with a a block that's repeated and repeated and repeated. And that's, you know, and if that's what you're into, hey, go for it. But that would bore the snot out of me. Right. So once I discovered that you can make all these little quilts, that was that was another ooh I, the way like, to go. I like this and it's fun and I get to play with more different <laughs> colors
0: so how many different kinds of fabrics do you think you have sitting in your house right now what would be your guess
1: different well okay different kinds
0: or I I guess I would say like samples <laughs> or or items large enough that you could turn into something Uh, over under. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start with a thousand. Over under a thousand. Oh, over, over. Oh, okay, I wondered. Oh, over under five thousand.
1: Probably somewhere in there. <laughs> right. It's uh, probably okay. So okay. So to clarify this, yes, my garage is pretty much my own personal fabric store. Not going to lie, but because I do different types of things. It's one thing, like, if I like a piece of quilting fabric, I might buy a fat quarter, which is a quarter yard cut rectangularly instead of just as a strip. And, you know, or maybe I'll buy half a yard or a yard. Like, I must really, really like it or want to make something big out of it if I buy two yards, but I'll buy smaller amounts. But if I see something that I want to make a piece of clothing out of, I'm probably buying at least two or three yards because you need different things. But I would just say without incriminating myself, (laughs) not that my husband is completely unaware Mm. that I have some issues. I am not going to lie. I am a bit of a fabric hoarder, but it's all really beautiful stuff and nicely organized. (laughs) And I'm really good at scouting bargains. I will, I will say that i I've had cartons of fabric arrive and it has been like enough stuff I could make 12 different garments out of. Yeah. And it would cost the price of one or two at the store.
0: Yeah.
1: We, I'm going to put it in those terms because it doesn't sound as bad. Right. But I do have, I have enough of a selection and I have, I have hundreds of patterns because I have about, 1,500 clothing patterns. Yeah. I've inventoried them on Evernote. Eh. I have about 500 quilt patterns, including like whether it's a book or just a little envelope that you make one or variations. Um, And then I have probably about 200 bag patterns. Have I made that many? No. Have I made a really good number? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm fast. I'm I'm really fast. I know on the website, sewing.powerreview.com. Yeah. Where it's mainly garment sewing and sometimes a few home deck or bag items. I've reviewed about 1,100 patterns. Like, different patterns. I've, I've made more things than that. Right. But I I literally <laughs> got to, like, 1,000 and they featured me on the website. Nice. like Like, this is, you know, kind of... There's some cross between obsessive and prolific. Right. And I'm straddling that line between cray-cray yeah. and, oh, wow, that's, that's cool. <laughs> but I've always been fast at making stuff. And then I've tried, you know, I've, as I've gotten better at stuff and I don't have to spend as much time on the directions, yeah. I can be a little bit more efficient. But it all comes back to the fact that I come home from a job where sometimes some really crazy shit happens. Yeah. And just trying to process like that what the heck was going on today.
0: Yeah, you need a stress release of something. I kind. do.
1: So, you know what? If if I'm thinking okay, like like a lot was going on yesterday, so that's why I finished up all four of my funky little friends. Now they were I'd say 80% of the way done. I just yeah. had to put the line together and sew the eyes on the other ones but you know I got all four of them finished so like that that was that was a moment and that allowed me to recover from the chaos of yesterday and deal with the fact that today I had a long day meetings open house a, a practice with the cheerleaders that I coach you know like a 12 hour day in my classroom in my school building yeah. and will there be more fabric involved over the next coming days oh yes there will (laughs) oh yes it will happen and i've deliberately i deliberately have decided this year i'm making it a goal to to play with whether it's my fabric or my scrapbooking supplies to do a little something creative every day and that's like my self-care yeah
0: Totally agree with that. Yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from with that. All right, Sandy, to close this out, uh, I ask everybody like the same six rapid-fire questions. Okay, go. it's always interesting to see what everybody says. All right, first one: uh, outside of your family, what's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? Hmm. Uh, you now everybody pauses here too. Yeah, everybody yeah. Pauses.
1: Okay, the first thing that comes to mind is just walking into an enormous fabric store and all the colors and patterns and samples and all the possibilities like that just yeah that 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 just is like awesome. Uh,
0: what's your favorite smell?
1: Uh, looking at the cat and I know what it's not <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would say vanilla.
0: It's a good one. Uh, yeah. What's your favorite kind of sandwich?
1: Okay, a Jersey Mike's number 8. Yeah. That is the club sub. You got to have one. the turkey, the ham, the bacon. And you know what? I really indulged the other day. I ordered extra bacon. Nice. It was it was good. You can get a little little mayonnaise, little little cheese on there. I could eat that twice a week if I had to. Yeah.
0: What's your favorite kind of drink?
1: Dr Pepper. Zero sugar. Yeah. And, and I'm not being paid by them, but I will tell you that I literally cannot tell the difference between regular Dr. Pepper and the Zero Sugar. I had tried the diet before. It was probably the least offensive of all the diet yep, drinks. it
0: is the least offensive, I agree.
1: But even so, it always reminds me, like, you know, it leaves a taste in my mouth that makes yep. me say, if I had to lick my cat, this is what would be left behind. <laughs> but the Zero Sugar? <sighs> love the Zero Sugar. Like, thank God. Cause yeah. I have a, I have an obsession.
0: Um, what makes you happy every single time it happens?
1: Ah, uh, petting my kitty cats.
0: Yeah, petting kitty cats are good.
1: Yeah, my kitty cats. I'm looking at my kitty cat right now. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. If you could give yourself as a child one little bit of advice, just one little nugget, what would you give yourself?
1: I. Would just say to keep being creative and hang on to that because I had a really I had a childhood that was just plain bad at some places like um, emotionally abusive my father and so learning at a young age that like I was doing self care and I did not know yeah. that that's what it's Sounds called like it but. I think if I'd have learned to do, like I learned it out of necessity, but I think if I could have told myself, no, no, this is good. Like do more do of more this of yeah. and ignore that. That would have been the best advice. Yeah. But of course, hindsight's 20, yeah.
0: Um. So, and the last question I asked each person, and this is uh, self-preservation for this podcast. Okay. Uh, uh, do you know of someone that does something as an adult that they still did the same thing as a kid? that will be good to feature.
1: Um, I I've actually been thinking about that. I've talked to some of the people that I work with. Um, you know, just just in general conversation, and sometimes you know, we talk about things. Uh, you know, whether it's you know some of the, you know, you have the Gen X yeah. childhood in common or something else. I'm not sure, only because like some of the people that you featured are people I know, and yep. I know they're yep. doing we that. The we do know a lot of the same people. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But I think there's, you know, I imagine that there are a lot of people out there yeah. that, you know, you, you learn things early and, and
0: they stick with you. You
1: know, actually I think about it. There's some, some of the people from the cheer gym where my daughter goes There are coaches that, you know, they grew up doing the sport, and they cannot seem to pull away from that. Yeah, you are
0: still doing it now. Um,
1: I can think of one that's currently a principal, and even last year, as a first-year principal, she still coached one of the all-star teams. Nice. And I think think that was, you know, I get the impression that was her self-care. Yes. You know, we all have to have that release. So. Yeah,
0: well, I haven't had a cheer person yet, so I'd be excited.
1: Um, I will tell you, I'll, I'll I'll tell you, I'll tell you who who you might want to think about for that.
0: Yeah. We'll work on that one. All right, Sandy, thanks for being on the show. If you want to meet Sandy in real life, well, you're going to need to go back to eighth grade and take her English class at Wesley middle school. (laughs) And, uh, or you
1: can take my class at Carrie quilting,
0: or you can take her class at Carrie quilting. That's a good segue. I forgot to ask if you teach anywhere.
1: I, I am getting ready to start. I've actually taught scrapbooking a couple of times, um, when there were more local scrapbooking stores, but I have just been contracted to do some classes at Carrie Quilting Company in, C- in Cary, North Carolina. Nice. And, um, if you were to go to their website, which is obviously Googleable and, yes. you know, CaryQuilting.com, CaryQuiltingCompany.com and search for classes, you can find me on there. There you go. And I'll teach you how to make a bag or a cool little basket that you can stuff in.
0: Was that Carrie Quilting Company?
1: Yeah, Carrie Quilting Company in Kerry, North Carolina.
0: Alright, well there you go folks. You get your chance to uh, be with the legend herself uh, <laughs> and, and learn all the great stuff there is about uh, about putting a quilt together which would be fabulous. Sandy, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. And remember folks, find what makes you happy and do it. There's a lot of life out there to live. Take time to enjoy it. And everybody have a good week.